My good people, are you ready for some football? That's right, the day has come to think between the last play of Super Bowl 52 when that Hail Mary fell into the back of the end zone with an outstretched, I believe it was Rob Gronkowski. If not, we know that the Philadelphia Eagles on that day became champions. So since then, enduring a long winter, a free agency period, all the draft stuff, the NFL draft, Minicamp, OTAs, training camp, a preseason. Here we are, September 6th in the year of our Lord, 2018, here on a Thursday. And I'm sure everybody is rejoiced, united, ready to watch some football, despite some controversial news in the last couple of days with Nike and Colin Kaepernick, which of course I'll get into. But you're listening to the J Reels podcast on this special edition discussing the 2018. NFL season, my NFL preview with lots to come here over the course of a try to do this in a tidy hour with predictions, over unders, all types of analysis, breakdowns, you name it. This is going to be pillar to post. I understand you may be sick of listening to all the prognosticators talk about who's going to be in the Super Bowl, what player is still holding out, which we'll get into, all the news and notes, the previews, the predictions. I'm sure you're sick and tired of it, but guess what? You haven't heard my predictions and what makes J Reel's predictions that much more special or different than anybody else? Well, I'm not paid by a network. I'm not paid by an organization. It's going to be straight, no chaser, facts, truth, the whole nine, and you're going to get it right here on this edition of the J Reel's podcast where I always come correct, direct, and in full effect. And if it sounds like I'm in a big giant tunnel, it is. I'm actually in my apartment today as I took the day off. Need a little mental health break. And obviously we're trying to get this up and running this afternoon so you could take this on your way home, your commute, on the treadmill, on the street, wherever it may be, washing clothes, cooking dinner, getting ready for tonight's opener down in Philadelphia between the Atlanta Falcons and Philadelphia Eagles. So again, if I sound like I'm uh, in this big giant tunnel... It's just a, an apartment which has no padding, where generally when I record my podcast, it's usually in a much more confined space. It's soundproof. But with that being said, let's cut right to it. I'm going to start from the top with the storylines, and I'm going to get to the locals, Jets, Giants, just a preview with that. But to me, the storylines heading into the season, which will pretty much set the tone for this podcast, are as follows. The first thing is, is that I look at the quarterbacks, in this league, and I get people going to say, Reels, what are you talking about? These quarterbacks? Why would you even start there? Right, you want to talk about the Rams and them stockpiling their defense and what they may become this year? Yeah, that's a storyline. You want to talk about New England? You know, no team has gone to three straight Super Bowls since the Buffalo Bills back in the 90s. Can they get there? Eh, yeah, I guess that's a storyline. To me, it's about the quarterback position, as we all know. And how I look at the storylines, it pretty much goes in three tiers. The first tier is the old guard. And that old guard consists of Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, and you even want to throw Joe Flacco in that mix, even though Flacco has the less tenure out of all the other aforementioned quarterbacks. But it's those guys that are looking to get that brass ring or get another taste of the brass ring. I know Phillip Rivers has not come anywhere near that, but considering that he's been in the league now, this will be his 15th year, going up against his former 2014 classmates in Ben Roethlisberger and Eli Manning. But you have a lot of those quarterbacks that are looking to get one last sniff, one last taste, possibly, of a Super Bowl title. 
So that's the first rung. The second rung are the vets, I'll call them. Whether it be Andrew Luck, who's coming back from injury, will he be able to sustain his body and his shoulder, sustain a 16-game schedule this year? The Cam Newtons of the world. The Kirk Cousins, all the pressure that's on him signing that big contract going to Minnesota. The Matt Ryans of the world. You know, you have guys like that where, and you know, maybe even Flacco, because Flacco and Ryan are tied at the hip with that 2008 draft. You know, those are the guys that have had a taste, that have had some success. And I understand when you look at a guy at Andrew Luck, he hasn't been to a Super Bowl. He's been to an AFC championship. But he's a guy with a number one overall draft pick back in 2012 that he's ready to, maybe not this year, but at some point, take it to that next level. We know that Colt team is certainly from hunger on offense. His offensive line has been patched and repatched over the years. You kind of wonder about that. But even still, that second rung of quarterback in the league who have had success, have not been able to get that brass ring, you kind of wonder where this year can lead to those guys that are pretty much going to be the next in line after the old guard once they set off into the sunset. And then the third rung would be the young guns, whether it be the Marcus Mariotas of the world or Jameis Winston, who's going to be out for the first four games this season. The Blake Bortles of the world. I understand he's not a top-tier quarterback, but again, Jacksonville, in making a, an AFC championship game last year, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, and especially since they've re-signed him and put all their chips to the middle of the table. You wonder how he's going to perform this year. You have a guy like Deshaun Watson coming off a knee injury, a real bad one at that. And the Texans and their fate and their future, what that upholds for a guy that had a lot of promise coming out of college that a lot of people even overlooked despite being the sixth pick overall last year. You know, guys like that. You can't forget Dak Prescott, a guy fourth round. We all know his story. Had that successful first year. Last year, obviously took a step back. Is he going to bounce back? You also have a young guy like Sam Darnold, which we'll talk about in a little bit when we cover the Jets. You know, it's all those factors that just tie in with the quarterback position, which makes it fascinating from so many perspectives as the ones I've just pointed out. The old guard trying to get the other taste of celebration, another Super Bowl trophy in their coffers, the second rung, which have had some success and being able to try to push to the next level to get that Super Bowl ring, and then the young guns, how they're going to progress, how are they going to fare this year with a lot of hopes and a lot of the franchises obviously the Jets being one of them, banking on their prized possession, their quarterback to take them not only just to the next level right away, but making them relevant, making them better. And to me, that's one of the big storylines. We could talk about teams all we want, and we're going to get into it, especially with the over-unders and going through the divisions. But at the same time, this league, as we all know, as quarterback-driven as it is, to me, that's one of the big storylines when it comes to all those different types of quarterbacks because who's going to be the last one standing at the end of the day down in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on that first Sunday in February raising the Vince Lombardi Trophy? Is it going to be any one of those that I mentioned? I understand the Darnolds. Eh, we all know it's a stretch. And I didn't even mention Pat Mahomes, another guy in Kansas City that they're giving the keys to the castle. And now he's going to have to be able to drive them to the top of the AFC West as they've been pretty consistent over the years. And Alex Smith, who's now in Washington, I don't know, a lot not to be expected there, but let's see how this all unfolds. We're going to shake it down and break it down right here, right now on the J-Reels podcast. And a couple other things 
as far as storylines concerned, you know, you have the anthem issue. I know the Colin Kaepernick thing has come up in the last couple of days, and I'm not going to rehash that whole thing, that whole scenario back in 2016. People are going to be divided by it. We all know that. When it comes to his stance and why that he uses that platform to use his protest and then the flag and everything, that it, I, we get that. And I'm not trying to revisit all that, and Lord knows, I'm sure you're probably tired of it. But the one thing is that this anthem issue still, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue, but it's going to be fascinating to see in light of this ad with Nike, which a lot of people think, that, you know, they're torn. People burning their shoes, their apparel, which is ridiculous. But because the president looming in the background, or really in the foreground, let's face it, knowing that he's going to have his say and tweet in the middle of the night or at some point throughout this opening night football game that's taking place in Philadelphia, that it's just going to continue to be a brush fire throughout the course of the NFL for God knows how long. And you know he's not going to stay quiet. And with that being said, the NFL may be pressured to make a decision on whether or not to enforce some sort of rule, as I've said going back, what was it, four or five podcasts ago, if you listened, that they may need to implement some sort of rule to kind of get this out of the way, which is two years overdue. And... With this ad, I'm sure it's going to ignite and it already has sparked some controversy, but it's not going to take effect until you see it on the field. And it's going to be interesting because one guy on that field tonight in the Philadelphia Eagles, Malcolm Jenkins, who's been vociferous for everything that's going on in this country, you know, the racial equality, the social injustices, et cetera, et cetera. And even during the first preseason game, had his fist in the air. All right, fine. Hey, no problem. But one thing people just need to understand and realize and recognize is that Everybody has their beliefs. Everybody has their stance on various things, and that's fine. But again, let them do whatever they want to do. It's all about what goes on between the lines. And I understand it may upset you to see people kneeling or people with a fist in the air or arm in arm locked down the sideline around an American flag while the national anthem is being sung. I get all that. But please, people, put that aside. Do you really care at the end of the day? Is it really going to change your life? You're just there to watch a football game. And that's how I look at it from this perspective because this is what we all waited eight months for, to watch the games, not to see who's kneeling, not to see who's in the locker room or hear who was in the locker room or who was had a fist in the air. Does it really matter, people? You know, everybody's just so sensitive for every little thing that you, you just, it's outrageous. And right, I guess some people are going to look at it and say, oh, he's disrespecting the flag, or how are you going to disrespect our nation, or blah, blah, blah. But we all know that the flag symbolizes freedom. But without getting into any further, it's going to be interesting to see tonight and in this first weekend, and also with Trump too, how this is going to play out. And that's a storyline in its own right. But, you know, I just didn't want to go and beat an old drum because this is something that we've talked about for years and even, like I said, just a few podcasts ago. So that's one thing to look out for as far as the storyline is concerned. And... Even more importantly, people, besides that, just the, the on-the-field stuff, you know, you wonder what the rating is going to be like. And even though that's more off the ratings, as people like us are going to watch the games, are they going to stagger this time around with everything in light of this Nike ad and what's going on there? And if any protests throughout the course of the weekend take place, what does that mean for the ratings and for the league? So this is stuff that we've talked about here now the last two years, and we're going to have to bring it up again. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as bad. I'm sure you're going to see the usual suspects do their thing, whether it be Malcolm Jenkins or 
who knows what Marshall Lynch is going to do. I know Marshall Lynch usually sits during the national anthem, but it's not for any protest or racial injustice or anything like that or racial inequality. But my thing is, is that people just let it go. You're here to watch football. I mean, unless they're doing something that's just completely out of line or out of hand, you know, spitting on the flag or doing anything like that, which obviously I shouldn't even say obviously, but my point is, is that just watch the game, pay attention to the game. Don't pay attention to what's going on. Cause please, we're all here to watch football. And if this is what you waited for for eight months to kind of put the target on a certain player or team that they didn't do this or didn't stand for that, then give me a break, find something else to watch, find something else to do and just don't waste our time. All right. With that being said, let's get to some football and we'll start with the locals. We'll start with the Giants because the Giants had a very interesting offseason, as everybody knows, especially here in this neck of the woods. And for those out there transplanted New Yorkers throughout the nation and who knows overseas. Now, the Giants, we all know they have a big offensive line and a big offensive, I should say big offensive line, but they had big offensive additions with Nate Solder, the left tackle coming into the mix. We all know about Saquon Barkley which is going to be controversial, not just for today or this year or next year, but two, three years down the road and whether or not they should have drafted a quarterback. Considering in light that they had let go of Davis Webb uh, just a couple days ago, to my surprise, and I get that he was a Jerry Reese draft pick, so a lot of people looked at it as like, oh, we're just going to cut him because, they, of course, they drafted Kyle Oletta this past spring, so it was easy for them just to dispose of Davis Webb as if to say, well, hey, he wasn't part of this regime, so out the door he goes. Okay, fine, not a problem. But my thing is with this giant team, as explosive as this offense could be, it's only going to go as far as its quarterback's going to take him. And that's no shock, and that's not going out on a limb by any stretch of the imagination. But the bottom line is this. In the last couple of years, and I understand you could throw away last year, 3-13. and 13, Excuse me, Eli didn't play in the one game against the Raiders, which obviously broke his consecutive game starting streak. But Eli Manning has been, for the most part, has been good. He hasn't been great. And he's been, let's face it, he'll have that one game that he's, you know, 25 for 36, 306, three touchdowns. Maybe he'll throw a pick or two. But then he has that, just that 19 for 37 for 199, no touchdowns and a pick or two picks. And I get that people are going to look at it and say, well, hey, he's getting older. You know, he's not going to be the same player. Understood, but at the same time, when you look at all the other quarterbacks of his ilk, as I started at the top of the program with the old guard, and now we're talking about quarterbacks that are even his age or older. So I won't even say Aaron Rodgers, who I believe is 33. Uh, you know, I won't even go there with those type of the, the quarterbacks who are younger than him. Brady, 41. Roethlisberger, 36. Rivers, 36. Breeze is 40. And we all get their different offensive systems, but these guys have been consistent year in and year out and have put up big numbers and Pro Bowl numbers, whether or not they made the playoffs or not. You know, Roethlisberger led the the league in passing yards two years ago. Breeze, we all know he's going for the yards record this coming season. Brady, we know he's got a ton of records and we, we know what his back of a football card looks like. So at Manning... He just hasn't had the consistency as those other quarterbacks. And even despite the fact that bringing in Barkley, which again, controversial, because you're going to look down the road with the Jets drafting Sam Darnold, and you're going to kind of wonder, unless Saquon Barkley is Walter Payton, and anything less than that, and if Darnold goes ahead and wins a Super Bowl in this town, the Giant fans are going to look at it and say, well, hey, that should have been our guy. 
But of course, Gettleman had the belief and the trust in Eli, knowing that he still had a few years left and that they could just get that one final piece and to get that big stud running back. Obviously, it's not a, that's also a smart move too. Personally, I would have taken the quarterback. Because running backs, let me tell you, has Adrian Peterson won anything in his career? Did Earl Campbell win anything in his career? And listen, God rest his soul, Walter Payton, he was on that great 85 Bears team. When you think about the 85 Bears, what do you think about? Their defense. You do not think about their offense. I mean, there's a list, a laundry list of running backs that I could go through that have never won a Super Bowl. Well, obviously, the quarterback's going to take you there. And when people could argue, well, Jay Reels, Eli Manning's had two Super Bowls, you know, and MVPs in his back pocket. All right, I understand that, but those were two magic carpet rides that you could probably never even dream of winning those, you know, getting to and winning those Super Bowls that now, as you get to this part of his career, again, he's not as consistent as those other guys. And you haven't even seen that. Now, think about this, people. You have to go back to the last game of the 2015 season that the, a Giants team has scored 30 points in a game. 30 points. Giants haven't come close to that. Yeah, they may have had a couple 27s. I think they had 29 against that Eagle in the, against the Eagles last year at the Meadowlands, that game late in the December. All right, so they had 29. So it was one point off. But they still haven't scored 30. They haven't been that offensive juggernaut that a lot of people think that this Giants team could be capable of. And I'm sure they could. They, listen, they have the talent on offense that goes without saying. Odell Beckham's finally got his contract. We know about Evan Ingram, the tight end. Sterling Shepard. Can't forget Saquon Barkley. You got a new left tackle in the mix. Uh, this offense could do some big and explosive things. But my concern, if you want to talk about keys to this team, to me, it starts with the defense. Are you going to see the 20... 16 defense that you saw where Landon Collins was an All-Pro, that Damon Snacks Harrison was an All-Pro, or you're going to see the 2017 defense from last year. Now, I understand you don't have Steve Spagnuolo in the mix. You have a new defensive coordinator and James, uh, what's his name? Betzner. I was going to say Butner, but it's not Butner. I want to make sure I got his name correct. So in James Betcher, you have a new defensive scheme, new everything. So now, if you're a Giant, you need to know, if you're a Giant fan, you need to look ahead and say to yourself, all right, this offense is going to be fine. What is this defense going to give me? You have Olivier Vernon who has this ankle issue. We all know ankles are tough to, ankles and hamstrings are always tough to overcome, especially in season. That's not to say he's never going to play. That's not to say he's not going to be effective, but we all know a guy like that who is your, arguably your best and most fierce pass rusher on the team not having him in the lineup or at least being 100% is going to be a major setback. You know, can Landon Collins bounce back? Can Eli Apple, with everything that happened to him last year, can he get back and contribute as a number one pick that he was a few years back? Can Snacks Harrison bounce back? A bunch of what-ifs, but it's going to be critical because could you imagine if this offense is going to put up arguably 23, 24, 25 points a game, what is the defense going to give up? So to me, the one key, I'm not going to say it's the only key, of course, but the one key right there is the defense and what they're going to be able to produce here, especially in this upcoming season. And the other key is that schedule to start off the year. The first seven weeks are just absolutely brutal. And we understand that injuries take place and things that happen, and it's not to say that as fans, we always go through the schedule and kind of say, oh, this is a win, that's a win, well, that's going to be a loss, oh, that's a win. But right, we all know at the end of the day, that's, please, it's just a waste of time. Right, you want to predict, have fun with it. I understand as sports fans, you're going to have those type of discussions. What, How far your team could go, what their record could be. 
But all it takes is an injury or a few injuries. Look at the Giants last year. A lot of people thought after an 11-5 year that they would be a playoff team, maybe 10-6. They were 11-5 the year before. And what happened? They were 3-13. So, but on paper, when you look at this schedule, they got Jacksonville week one. We all know their defense is, is very stout. One of the top defenses in the league. They go to Dallas week two, which of course that's not going to be an easy game. Any division game is not easy. Then they might as well stay in Texas because they go play the Texans the week after in Houston. Deshaun Watson, that defense, J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney, etc. Then they have a game at home against the Saints where the Saints are looking to do big things and especially with a much better defense now after all their draft picks last year at the top there with uh, Marcus Lattimore, the cornerback. Then Carolina, they go to Carolina, home to Philly, and then at Atlanta. So those first seven games are just rough. And if you can come out of that, I won't even say four and three. If you can come out of that three and four, then the rest of the schedule doesn't look as bad. You know, you're home to Washington, then you have a bye, so you kind of rest up, which is good because that's already the halfway point of the season. Then you have a Monday night in San Francisco. Who knows what the Niners are going to be like this year with Garoppolo at the helm. Tampa is going to have a long year. Then you're at Philly, the Bears at home, at Washington, Tennessee, at Indy, and then Dallas to round out the schedule. If you can get by those first seven games, you should be fine. But as we've seen throughout the years, and I understand with different tenures, with, whether it was Tom Coughlin or even you look at last year, what happened with Ben McAdoo. When the Giants get off the slow starts, they're usually awful starts. You know, an 0-2 could quickly be 0-4, 0-5. 2007 season notwithstanding because they started 0-2, ended 10-6, and then won a Super Bowl. But I'm talking about here in this last decade. You know, 2013, they started 0-6, had a long year. Last year, we know what happened, started 0-5, long year. I'm not saying the Giants are going to start off 0-5. But we all know, you look at those first two games, Jacksonville, where if they're able to run the ball against the Giants and they're able to do some things and obviously defensively you know they're going to be running downhill all afternoon then you can forget it then they go to Dallas week two which they can win in Dallas and they've done so in the past but you certainly don't want to go into that game 0-1 and then lose at Dallas and then the following week go up against that pass rush against the Texans if you're starting to look at 0-3 and then you come home to play the Saints I mean well what's going to what's going to happen from there slowly but surely that snowball's just going to continue to just get larger and larger and larger. And next thing you know, you're in a hole that you can't get out of. So to me, when I look at the Giants season, it's those two things. I think the offense is going to be fine. Are they going to be lethal? It remains to be seen. I mean, on paper, right. They look like they could be an offense that's going to put up points every time they touch the ball. But am I going to see the 2016 defense or the 2017 defense? And then obviously getting through those first seven games is going to be key for the Giants. Do they have a playoff season the NFC is stacked and we'll get to the divisions and the conference later on I think this giant team can win 10 games why not but does it mean to make the playoffs it's going to be tough there are so many teams in the NFC it's if they were in the AFC it'd be they'd be a lock NFC you just don't know because there are a lot of good teams I'll say they'll go 10 and 6 I say they're going to fall short I don't think they're going to make the postseason. You know, they have games against the uh, NFC South, which to me is arguably the best division in football. 
You had three teams going to the playoffs last year from that division. And I could see that being the same coming this year. Atlanta's going to be better. The Saints certainly going to be very good. Carolina, I know they kind of hit a miss, but they're two years removed from a Super Bowl, but at the same time, they still have the talent. So, Giant fans, listen, they could have a year where they could still make the playoffs. I'm not trying to say they, they're they not playoff worthy, but I just don't see them. If I knew they were going to be 11-5, and 12-4, I'd say, yeah, they're, they're in for sure. But 10-6 and six doesn't guarantee your postseason berth. So, I think they're going to fall short in that regard. But I think it's going to be a good season. And the thing is, you want to capitalize with Eli at the helm because you do not know how many more years. He could say he has two, three, four years left, and chances are with his health, he'll be fine. But it's still... It's still going to be very interesting to see how in the years to come, how this unfolds if the Giants don't get another crack at a Vince Lombardi trophy, knowing that across the other side of the locker room, the Jets look like they'll have their franchise quarterback firmly entrenched excuse me, for at least a decade. And now to segue to the Jets, we all know Darnold, I mean, I've talked about it already, and the... A little bit of surprise that coming out of Jet Camp with the trade, Teddy Bridgewater to the Saints. You know, you figured that maybe they would have waited a little bit until a team got desperate or somebody lost a quarterback in the first couple of weeks of the season. And next thing you know, a team comes calling and says, hey, what can we get for Bridgewater? And at that point, hey, give us a one. They'll go, oh, no way. How about a two, three? And you just work your way down. But as far as the Jets are concerned, this is just another year to rebuild, to move up that ladder. And not only try to make yourself relevant, but make yourself a team that's going to be reckoned with. We all know they have a young defense. We know about the safeties, which are going to be fine. The corner that they got from the Rams, who should be an upgrade there. Leonard Williams, let's see if he's going to have a bounce back year, because obviously he had a subpar year last year. And now with all the... Dirty laundry out. You know, the Muhammad Wilkinsons of the world. You don't have to worry about any, you know, stagnant or just like a very bad morale of a locker room anymore when you had guys and veterans that were just pretty much stinking up the place over the last few years. You got a lot of, rid of a lot of them last year with Darrell Revis, obviously at the tail end of his career, and the Brandon Marshalls of the world, the Sheldon Richardsons of the world. But now, you know, getting Muhammad out. And it, now it's like you're, you're starting pretty much from scratch. And now when you have the quarterback in the mix, it's even that much better. But if you're the Jets right now and having Darnold to start this season, I'm sure you got to be happy. I'm sure you got to be excited. As I said a couple weeks back, the one thing that I would worry about is this offensive line. Because you do not want this quarterback getting killed at any point, I don't mean that literally, of course, but you just do not want him being maimed. Let's put it that way. Behind this offensive line at any point this season. Yes, let him learn. Let him grow. I'm sure he's going to have some rough games. He's going to have some tough times. We get all that. But you certainly do not, and I underline, do not want this kid at any point on the shelf. I mean, just look at Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, although started his career as good as you possibly can, Making the playoffs, going deeper each year, making it to a an NFC an AFC championship, excuse me, and you figure, all right, this kid's gonna make it to the next level, despite the fact that this team was without him is a three win team. And just by having him in the lineup, 
He's worth three or four wins. And as a fringe playoff team. But you don't want to have that same thing with Darnold because you know, see in Indianapolis, they had Peyton Manning for all those years and won a Super Bowl. And then they just happened to, forgive the pun, lucked into getting Andrew Luck back in 2012. So now with the Jets having Darnold in the mix, knowing that they haven't had that guy since Joe Willie Namath, and we're now we're going back, you know, 50 years, that you want this guy to play every game, every snap, let him learn, right? There's going to be some bumps and bruises, right? You may be looking at a long season, but you know what? This is, like I said before, this is building to bigger and better. I think it's good that he's starting. Again, the offensive line scares me. It really does. But you only hope, and I think he's, he's ready for it. I'm sure he knows the expectations. I'm sure the monkey is already starting to feel as if it's 400 pounds on his back, and it's only going to get bigger. But you know what? He's mature enough. He may not be made for New York City because he's a California boy, but I think he's going to know fast and grow up fast. And you can only hope that he'll be able to adapt and persevere and just continue to get better because this Jet franchise, as we all know, has just had, I'm not going to go as far as curses, but we all know that they have had more bad luck than good. And for the first time in a long time, they finally have something good that they could certainly rally around and hang their hat on, hopefully for at least a decade and plus. As far as the keys for this season, again, the first one is just have the quarterback upright the whole year. To me, that's number one. You know, if he gets benched at some point, if he has one of those just awful games, it's not going to be the end of his career. You know, if it's week six, and I got to look at the schedule to see who they're playing week six, but uh, here we go, week six. If they're playing the Colts, look, ironically enough, and Donald has a first half that's, you know, one for nine, four interceptions, and then McCown comes in. Listen, the kid is going to be humbled. He's going to need to go through it. I mean, Terry Bradshaw got benched. And how did his career turn out? You know, he's not going to be the first, won't be the last. But at the same time, we know that the future rides on him. So even if he has that bad game, and even if McCown comes in and plays a couple of good games, but guess what? So what? If they're... Three and seven, and McCown pulls a couple games, and now they're five and seven. Are they still going to go with McCown? Chances are they may, because Todd Bowles is looking to save his job. But at the same time, it'd only be wise for him to know that Sam Donald is the future of this team, and we would like to see where he could pick up from where he left off. Hopefully, not for the one for nine for four picks, but you get what I'm saying. Because it is his team, it is his franchise, and he's the one that's going to be driving it. Hopefully toward a Vince Lombardi trophy in the not-too-distant future for the Jet fan, of course. And so to me, it's, that's number one. Number two, you just want them to just play a lot better. And I know the coach drives you crazy. I know the coach is just bland in these press conferences, and it's not about that, but you know some of his decisions are just, they make you scratch your head. Well, a lot of coaches, I understand, do that, but let's face it. You know, if they're down by eight and it's four minutes to go and it's fourth and four at his own 41, he punts the ball. I mean, he can't do that. You know, you got to take a shot. Fourth and four? I don't know if he didn't have enough confidence in the quarterbacks that he had, whether it was uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, whether it was Bryce Petty, 
Josh McCown, et cetera. But he makes these boneheaded decisions that just makes you pull your hair out of your head. So I think the coach has a lot to do. And I believe the coach knows that he has a lot on the line here. And last year, 5-11. and 11. This year, I'm just going to give him an uptick. 6-10, and 10, you'd only hope that the defense would gel a little bit better, which could also be a big plus. If you have these young guys, as Jamal Adams is of the world, the Marcus Mays, if they come in there and they certainly put their stamp on this team, which they already have, especially Adams. But to continue to just get better. We know they're going to make mistakes. We know that chances are it's going to be a long season. And it's easy to say, well, hey, what if the Jets go off to a quick start? They're playing the Lions who aren't world beaters. And then if the Dolphins at home and then the Browns, hey, they could go 2-1, and one, maybe 3-0. and oh. oh, hey. Well, remember last year they were 3-2. and 3-2. and two. After they had beaten Cleveland. And a lot of people thought, wow, look at this. Who would have thought? And I'm sure a lot of Jet fans are like, oh, no, we want to go 1-15 so we could get Sam Donald. Well, as it turned out, you still got Sam Donald even with a 5-11 and 11 record. And, of course, a trade, a huge trade that propelled you from 6-3 to three to get Donald. But even if they go 2-1, and one, they got the Jaguars. All right, the Broncos aren't anything to be scared of. Unless, of course, Von Miller is going to just wreck the game. Colts, Vikings, Bears. The schedule isn't terrible. They, I mean, they're facing the NFC North, which is a very good division. You know, we got the Patriots twice later on in the season. You know, they play the Packers, of course, late in the year. It's one of those things where... Again, you just want to take this week by week. You know, unlike last year when you look at some of the games that the Jets played, you know, when you look at when they beat Kansas City that one game and they scored a bunch of points and you're thinking, wow. And I believe they were a game behind. Uh, I think we were five and six at the time. And what do they do? They go to Denver and they stunk up the joint. Get shut out. Or when they went down to Tampa... And Tampa was awful. And what happened? Tampa, they lose, was it 15 to 12 or 15 to 10? Some low scoring game. You know, those are games you got to win. You know, you got to beat the Tampas of the world. You got to beat the Broncos of the world. And then during that stretch, after they play the Jaguars, which is week four, they have three straight games at home, which is Broncos, Colts, and Vikings. You know, hey, can they go two and one in that stretch? And who knows? I'm not trying to say they're going to make the playoffs, but. You just want to try to be as relevant as you possibly can, especially having number 14 under center. And to kind of put this Jet perspective to bed, you know, I think they're going to be an uptick better. They may be 6-10, and 10, maybe 7-9. and 7-9, and nine, I think it would be, you go crazy. Now, if you go 8-8, eight and eight, now you got really something to build on. But you still have a young defense. You even have a younger quarterback. And again, oh, you only hope that they are in a lot of these games, that they play well, they play crisp. Yeah, when they play the Patriots, the Jaguars, the Vikings, you know, teams like that. Right, do you expect to win those games? Probably not. But do you want, do you know or want to know if you can hang with those teams? That's what matters. And a lot of it has to do with the coaching. And we'll see what Todd Bowles has up his sleeve. I mean, it may not be much, but... We know that this is, I don't want to say it's do or die for him, but he definitely has to have a lot more do than die when it comes to this season because not that they're expected to go anywhere or expected to make the playoffs or anything like that, but if they do take a step back here and if Donald plays, you know, he plays well, but it's certainly not good enough, then he's not going to be here. 
So I'll say six and ten for the Jets this year, and you get a you know good draft pick, maybe somewhere between seven and ten, and you just hope next April you just bring another guy in here, and away you go. All right, for everybody that knows, I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan, and this is for my Steeler brethren out there and sisters. Obviously, they've been in the news a lot here over the last few days. I'll start with, before I even get to Le'Veon Bell, I'm going to start with two keys for them this year. First off, the defense. Now, we know what happened to Ryan Chazier. I know they signed Vince Williams to a three-year deal, which he's going to pretty much play the middle. Obviously, Vince Williams is not Ryan Chazier. Get that. But this defense and the way they performed at times last year, especially in that divisional game against Jacksonville, which they were absolutely deplorable. To me, that's part of the coach too. That's Tomlin, and I'm going to get to him in a minute. But this defense certainly has to play better. They don't have to play along the lines of the offense because the offense right now, it's it's top three in the league. And without Bell, I understand that's probably going to be maybe top five because they have receivers galore. They have targets. James Conner, the running back who's right now the starting running back of this team who had a very good camp. You know, he's just a, he's a feisty guy. He's a tough runner. Uh, just a real small guy, but at a certain time, just packs a lot of uh, wallop. But again, you can't expect him to duplicate anything that Le'Veon Bell does. But going back to the defense, the defense needs to have a just a solid year. They need to have a good year. I can't just say solid. Solid, solid is good. It's going to get you by, but they just need to play big in the spots that they need to play big. And I understand this. It may sound cliche. Oh, Jay Rules, what does that mean? Well, hey, look at the game in Jacksonville last year. You know, you've been coming behind from behind the whole game. Can you make a stop on third down? You know, how many wheel routes to Leonard Fournette or that bomb to, you know, down the middle to Keelan Cole? I mean, give me a break, people. And with the defense on top of that, go to go to Tomlin. You know, Tomlin needs to understand, despite the fact that they played 3-4 in the zone, we get all that. But the one thing, if you remember that New England game in the regular season, that after Brady picked him apart that first drive to kick the field goal, what did he do after that? They went man. If he would have gone man in the divisional game against Jacksonville, I think they would have won the game. But they didn't. Because a lot of those passes that you saw underneath and a lot of those passes that you saw out in the flat opened the passes that you saw downfield late in the game. And why was that? Because he did not adjust. Because he just thought, hey, let's just play zone. We'll figure this out. We're, you know, read and react. We do have a lot of speed, but this is how we're going to do it. No, if they would have went man, it would have been a whole different game. Just like in that Patriot game, when they went man, they pretty much slowed down the Pats until the fourth quarter when Gronkowski finally got open and then he made a bazillion catches. But then again, Gronkowski is one of the biggest targets and of course, one of the toughest guards in the league. So now you have a situation where What's worse? Do you go back to zone and play what you're used to playing or you go man and just try to gamble and roll the dice with? To me, you got to go play against an opponent what's best suited. And if they're killing you in the zone, then you got to go man. And I understand that may not be your identity. I understand that that may not be what you want to do. But guess what? That's what great coaches do, not good coaches. And I'll segue to Tomlin on this. This is a big year for Tomlin. And I'm not trying to say this to be like, oh, he needs to be fired. He needs to be out there. And a lot of Steeler fans, you know, they have short memories. Oh, you know, get him out of here. Well, who do you want to bring in? That's the first question. 
I don't know of anybody. Oh, bring back Cowher. Cowher's not coming back. Not that anybody has said that, but I could just see the typical you know, front-running Steeler fan. He's going to say, oh, we could get Cowher back. Why not? He'll come back and coach the team. Hey, please. Guy hasn't coached since he walked out of the door in 2006. So all of a sudden, he's going to have the bug and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, let me start. Uh, let me co- coach my old team again. And the reason why it's going to be a big year for Tomlin is because last year, with everything that transpired, they had to, listen, they were 13-3. and three, They had a two-seed. I understand a lot of people were upset with Tomlin that last drive where Roethlisberger threw the interception in the Patriot game. I thought it was the right uh, move for them to go for it because they had the touchdown. They had the game one there with Jesse James. But obviously, it was just a bad play call. We understand the mix-up between Haley and Roethlisberger. And Roethlisberger, that was just a bad decision on his part to throw in the middle of the field. Didn't he remember what happened in the Super Bowl with Seattle, Russell Wilson? I understand at the time he's not thinking that, but you get my drift. So now with Tomlin, you would think that with everything that transpired last year, even the bravado of the interview saying, oh, we're going to face the Patriots down the road and the slight disrespect towards Jacksonville in the division round. And you like that in the coach, but at the same time, this is the NFL. It's one game. You know, it's not a best of seven. It's not a best of five. It's one game. And I think he needs to temper that a little bit with the players, with himself to a certain degree. Number one, and number two, I like his aggressiveness, but there are times where he's just aggressive just to be aggressive. And then when there's times where you think he's going to be aggressive, then he becomes conservative, and it makes you think, like, wait a minute. So he goes on a million fourth downs, and he, he goes for a lot of two-point conversions, some that are just out of nowhere, which makes you think, like, why is he going for two here, and it's the first drive of the game? Or why is he going for two when they're trailing, when you know you don't want to catch up points unless you actually absolutely have to go for two and the same thing for the onside when they made the game 38-35 with whatever how much it was two two minutes and change to go he had two timeouts and a two-minute warning and we understand the defense was awful putrid but why is he kicking an onside kick there i mean excuse me why is he kicking off let him earn it he goes for an onside kick there. So then what happens? They score a touchdown within a couple of drives and the game is over. There was no need for him to go kick an onside kick there when he had literally three timeouts in his back pocket. Let him earn it. You get the ball back. You try to punch it in. You were running up and down rod, you know, rough shot on their defense all day. Why do that? So again, they should have not gone for the onside kick. They should have just kicked off and he went for the onside kick and we all know what happened. The ball didn't even go 10 yards. Jacksonville gets the ball right there. And before you know it, they're in the end zone. Now to Le'Veon Bell. He has infuriated the offensive line, which to me at this point right now, the the line's been drawn in the sand. If the teammates, especially as uh, linemen, look at that and say, hey, he screwed us. I know Marquise Pouncey, the center, had come out the other day on Monday and said, oh yeah, he's going to be here on Wednesday. And obviously today's Thursday and he's not here. So you have a situation where the team is now, I don't know, I'm not going to say it's fractured, but now if Bell comes back into the mix in the next couple of days, what is that going to mean for this team moving forward? If you're Kevin Colbert, the GM, if you're Mike Tomlin, I understand they're going through the game plan to start James Conner and whomever else, Jalen Samuels, the Stephen Ridleys of the world, I get that. But unless this is Emmett Smith circa 1993 when the Cowboys started 0-2 behind Derek Lassick 
And obviously they came back. They had to go to Emmett and say, please, we'll sign you. And they signed him. And what happened, not only became the MVP of the league, he became MVP of Super Bowl 28. Anything short of that, this guy does not come into your locker room. And I say that because if the agent's going to come out and say, hey, we're trying to protect our investment. Hey, we want to be sure that, all right, as an agent, I understand you're supposed to say that. But guess what? He's playing football. You know, this isn't, um, you know, this isn't badminton. He knows what he signed up for. And if you want to get that big payday, and the Steelers offered him $70 million for five years. I understand the signing bonus wasn't all that. And we understand in this day and age in the NFL, it's all about the signing bonus. But, you know, it's not as if they gave him some low-ball offer where they could just laugh at and say, you know what, later for you, we'll see you when we see you. So now, you want to play that game of chicken? Guess what? Steelers are going to go ahead. Now, the Steelers start off 2-0. I can only imagine what's going to happen in the bell camp. Just like the flip side of that, if they go 2-0, then you have the Emmitt Smith deal like you did back in 93 with the Cowboys. But from my perspective, and not only just saying this as a fan, but also saying this because this is what the truth is. He hasn't come into that locker room by today, Thursday, and the game Sunday. Don't even bother coming. Don't show up. Because it's only become a distraction. And as we know, last year with this team, this team had distraction upon distraction upon distraction. Whether it was with the anthem in Chicago, with Villanueva in the tunnel, where everybody said they were going to be in the locker room. Whether it was the situation with, excuse me, Martavis Bryant and Juju Smith-Schuster having to deal with that. Tomlin with his comments about the Patriots. Le'Veon Bell before the Jacksonville game, all that. Uh. Now you got to nip all that in the bud. You got to be strong, have some conviction from the front office all the way down to say, you are a persona non grata. You didn't sign the $14.5 million franchise tender or uh, the, uh, you know, the tender. I can't even think of the word right now because right now I'm just, I'm just livid at the fact that Bell said last year, that I'm not going to show up until the Monday before the season, which he did. And then at the end of this offseason, he came out, and I understand he's going to change his tune and his agent's going to get in his year. I get all that. But he did say that, you know what, even if we don't come to a contract or if we're close or whatever, I'm going to be there come that Monday because he knows the team is this close to winning a Super Bowl. And obviously with him in it, it's going to be that much more greater for them to win if he's in that starting backfield. But now that you've gotten to this point, the Steelers are just close the door right in his face. And if I'm Kevin Colbert, I would try to somehow, some way, I understand you got to wait a couple weeks, somehow, some way, trade him. That's right, I said it. Trade him. You're probably not going to get a number one pick. You may get a number one pick. You may get a Khalil Mack situation. You're not going to get two number one picks. But you know what? If you get a number one pick from somebody, or you get a one and a two for the next year, or whatever it is, do it. Because the Steelers, as we all know, is going to be a passing offense. It's a passing league. Yes, to have a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who also catches balls out of the backfield, we get it. But with that said, he could take his attitude. He could get his money. He could get a signing bonus elsewhere. And it's nothing personal, Le'Veon. It's nothing personal. I'm not, it makes, you know, fans sometimes, they come across, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Or, hey, this is why they're fans or they're fanatics. Or look at this guy. You know, who's he trying to tell me what to do? It's not a matter of doing that. It's a matter of doing what's right. And it's a matter of backing up what you said going back to February about being able to sign on that Monday before the season. And now you're going back on it. You even had Antonio Brown saying in the summertime that, hey, Le'Veon, we need you. Hopefully you'll come in that Monday. We understand it's your situation. You got to take care of your family. We get all that. Nobody's saying that you can't get paid. 
And it's not that the Steelers just left you high and dry. But let's face it, my guy. What you're doing is only hurting you more down the road. So if you want to sign with Tampa and get your $100 million contract, it's not going to be $100 million, but you get my point. You want your $70 million signing bonus, great. And then you're going to get pounded down there, and then I can see the agent, oh, he's getting too many touches, so on and so forth. Well, then you know what? The, the, play something else. Find something else to do then. Because if you're worried, if the agent, I don't know his name, I know it if I see it. If he's worried about his client getting 400 more touches this year, and also, the fact, oh, we want to get that payday, then you know what? Find something else to do, my man. For real. Because I understand that, and I can already see it. If he does come back, oh, you know, they have me over here. Make, I could see him making quotes about, oh, they ran me down to the ground. This is why I'm hurt. Again, find something else to do. All there is to it. All right, enough of that. I think the Steelers, even without Le'Veon, I think they can have a big year. Is it going to be a Super Bowl year? I think it possibly can be, but without having Bell there and who knows how the soap opera is going to unfold, and that's the other thing that Tomlin needs to do. He needs to shut all that down, as I've said before, whether it's the social media stuff with his players, I like Antonio Brown a couple years ago, or even whatever that's going on in his locker room. Obviously, he needs to nip all that in the bud and just try to focus just strictly on football. I think they can go to a Super Bowl the AFC, unlike the NFC, is not as loaded as it is. Uh, I can't see why not they can get another two seed, maybe even a one seed this year. So I, I really think they're going to have a big year. And I'll get into more about the Steelers a little bit later on when I go to the, uh, as far as my predictions are concerned. All right, let's cut right to it. Let's go through the divisions real quick. The AFC East, is there anything to discuss? I mean, really, it's the Patriots and everybody else. We talked about the Jets going to do. Buffalo's going to have a long year. We know that the situation there with the quarterback who's been under siege during the preseason, you have Nathan Peterman's going to start. They traded A.J. McCarron to Oakland. They're going to have a long year. And then the Dolphins, even with Tannehill in the mix, who's showing some leadership qualities, but you just wonder whether or not they're going to have enough on both sides of the ball to be able to have a year where they could compete in that division, which chances are not, or maybe even for a wild card spot. So to me, it's the Patriots and everybody else. The AFC North is going to be fascinating this year. We understand the situation with Baltimore, with Joe Flacco. I know I mentioned him earlier, but you also have Lamar Jackson, another young gun who I didn't mention, but could play a part of this at some point down the road. The Raven defense has always been stout and will pretty much, excuse me, be the same this coming up season, you know, this coming season. The Bengals are looking to take a step forward. And with Marvin Lewis still at the helm after all these years, we all know about the quarterback in Dalton, a guy that could, Get you through a regular season, but in a big spotlight post game, is he going to be able, or post uh, postseason game, is he going to be able to take it up another level to have them advance? Remember, the Bengals have not won a playoff game since '91, and I believe between the combination of Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, I think they're what zero and six in the postseason. So they're looking to try to erase that. I think it's going to be a competitive division. The other question and funny, I guess, a, a, an underlying theme or under a storyline that doesn't get talked about when is the Browns going to win this year if and when well the Browns going to finally I mean they won one game in the last 32 can you imagine and we all know about hard knocks which I didn't watch one second of it but and I don't have the schedule in front of me but they play Pittsburgh the first game which is going to be interesting and we'll get to the Sewell games in a little while but with the Browns when are they going to win when are they going to finally get a taste of victory and I'm sure that's going to be almost like them winning the Super Bowl whenever that happens in the AFC South, should be very competitive as always. 
Uh, I understand throughout the last couple of years have been on down luck in a sense where you had teams fall back like the Colts. We understand the Titans and Jaguars both made the playoffs, so there was a little respectability in that division. And uh, as we know, the Texans losing their quarterback in the fifth or sixth game last year certainly hurt. But this year should be very competitive if everybody state remains healthy. Jacksonville's looking to take another step, hopefully to get to a Super Bowl. Tennessee with the new coach, Mike Vrabel. And uh, obviously with Mariota at the quarterback position. And of course, they've made some uh, changes and they have some very underrated uh, players on defense. Uh, See if they can also maybe enhance or take another step. Colts, we'll see what happens with them. Colts are pretty much nondescript, even with the quarterback. I mean, can you think of anybody? I don't tell. T.Y. Hilton's got to be still on the team, right? But when you look at, you know, the past, when you think of the Reggie Waynes of the world and, you know, some of the other players that they had, I mean, it's obviously it's not your father's Colts team by any stretch. And on the defense... You know, no Dwight Freeney, no Robert Mathis. You know, you don't have those type of guys that are still mainstays on that defense. So again, the Colts, even with the quarterback in the mix, Colts certainly are not a team that you find that's a very, all right, they're offensive driven or hey, they have a great defense with a great quarterback. So it remains to be seen with them as far as what they do. And then the Texans, I'm sure they're looking to take another leap forward now that they have Watson back. And I'm going to say this about Watson. Again, nothing personal. I still need to see more of him. People went crazy for what he did last year, and rightfully so. He had that one game against New England where he threw four touchdowns. He was phenomenal. He's unbelievable. And he's had a couple of moments here. But let's not get crazy. He's only played five games. Same with Garoppolo. And I'll get to him in a little while. But can I see more of Deshaun Watson perform at this level on a consistent basis, not just five games, before everybody starts making him out to be you know the next big, you know, next big thing? That's what I'm going to say about Deshaun Watson. And then in the AFC West... The Chargers look like they could be a team that could finally win a division because the Chiefs, as I said earlier, now with Pat Mahomes at the mix, you kind of wonder if he's going to go through some growing pains there. He's not a rookie, but considering that he's going to start this year, it's almost like he's starting off as a rookie quarterback in this league. But with Rivers and company and the moves that they've made, not a ton of moves. They bring back Antonio Gates probably for his last year. You know, but they have a couple of kids. Derwin James is supposed to make an impact. They have a very good secondary. So you wonder if the Chargers, who are always snake bitten some of these games, you know, they lose these games in the final minute in just excruciating fashion. You kind of wonder if they're going to finally get themselves to the top of the AFC West again. I'm sure the Chiefs will be competitive, even with the quarterback. They finally got a guy who could throw down the field, unlike Alex Smith could. You know, the defense is still stout. The Broncos, with Case Keenum at the helm, Certainly not the team from a few years ago. They certainly don't have the defensive personnel like they once did. They still have Von Miller. But again, uh, you would think they're probably going to be somewhere in the middle, maybe below the pack. And then you have the Raiders, which we all know about the Khalil Mack trade. The Raiders always just do everything to screw things up. I mean, Mark Davis, he gives the Gruden the 10-year, $100 million contract, which is just the beginning of the end. I, I mean, please. I'm thinking about it now, and I say to myself, he gave John Gruden, 10 years, $100 million, and he couldn't even get his best player in camp and therefore had to trade him. All right, he got two number ones out of it. I get that. But at the same time, whew, that team, they're going to limp into Las Vegas. And I understand they still have personnel at the, the offensive side of the ball. You know, you still have Derek Carr, Amari Cooper. You know, Crabtree isn't there anymore. You know, Marshawn Lynch, whatever he has left. You know, they still have a very good offensive line, but... You know, they don't have that dominant defensive player, the pass rusher. I think that's going to be just a long season. And Gruden, boy, I tell you, 
I think he's got in over his head. And considering this is his first year, you know, he think he thought he was back in the time machine in 2001. No, 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 no. This is a whole new ball game, Jack. So I'm sure uh, Oakland and their fans, they're not going to be happy with what's uh, well, what lies ahead with their team. And then to go out to the NFC real quick. The NFC is just, I tell you, man, NFC just has a ton of teams. And before I even go to the divisions, let's just, just let me just lump the NFC all in one in this regard. Ready? We'll go NFC West. Obviously, the Rams stacked. But if there's one thing I'm worried about the Rams is that that team has the makings of a front-running team. And by that, yeah, they could pound teams 40-10, to 10, 31-nothing, whatever. I mean, we know the, the guys that they brought in on defense. Akeem Tlaib, Marcus Peters, and Damakon Su. They finally got Aaron Donald under a long-term deal. Fantastic. Offense, we know they have key players. They Gurley, they gave big money. Great. My thing is, is that if the defense is lights out and if somehow, some way, Gurley is being contained to a certain extent where everything is going through Jared Goff and he's not getting the job done, woo, I can see that defense sniping on the offense without question. And front running, meaning that, yes, they'll pound a lot of teams this year when the game is tight and the game is close. And, you know, Gurley fumbles late or Goff throws a, a late pick in a big game. How is that team going to react? And against uh, with a coach that's only in his third year in the league or second year, excuse me. That's going to be fascinating to watch. But be it as it may, on paper, they certainly have the talent to go to a Super Bowl. The Niners, they're going to take a step ahead. We even with Garoppolo, which again, kind of like Deshaun Watson, I still need to see more. You know, it's not as if they had a ton of tape on Garoppolo and that's the thing. Everybody has video of somebody. You know, a lot of people didn't think Deshaun Watson was going to have that start the way he did, and look what he did. I mean, he was phenomenal. Same with Garoppolo. Yeah, they could go back to those couple games with New England. I get that. But at the same time, it was so long ago and a different offensive system that now he's with Shanahan, and Shanahan's an offensive mind. We know that. But he just lit those final five weeks and lit the league by storm. Now, with a whole training camp and a whole year about to look right dead in his face, how is he going to respond to that? Uh, do I think he's going to perform well? I think he will. But let's not get crazy and uh, start uh, making the statue outside of uh, Levi Stadium just yet. That's all I'm saying. And then you have Seattle and Arizona, which I think Arizona, their situation with the quarterback, you know, with Rosen. You know, we'll see. I know Fitzgerald's now getting in the twilight of his career, although he's still productive. David Johnson is obviously going to be a lift. And Seattle, I think Seattle's just going to have, Seattle's just going to have a long year. And I'll, I'll just keep it at that for right now. But you have LA, San Francisco are going to be competing. The NFC South, to me, I think, as I said before, best division in football. Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans. Do I even need to get into them? Atlanta was in the Super Bowl two years ago. Should have won the Super Bowl. We know what happened. Carolina was in the Super Bowl three years ago. Haven't played great since then, but they're still a very good bonafide team. No Thomas Davis these first four games who were the blood and guts of that defense with Luke Keekley being the heart and soul. And then obviously the Saints are the Saints with Breeze. And to think there was just one missed tackle and a miracle play away from going to an NFC Championship game. And then you have Tampa, who they're going to have a long year. In the a- NFC North, Vikings are going to be stout. Packers with a full. Aaron Rodgers is going to be very good. As we know, the Detroit Lions. You know, Lions are going to put up points. You just wonder what they're going to do on defense. You know, Lions are usually hit or miss. They're either going to have a bad year or they're going to have a good year. Sometimes yeah, they have those eight and eights, nine and sevens, which for them is a good year, but... They're either feast or famine. 
And then the Bears, even with bringing Khalil Mack into the mix, and that's what's going to make the Sunday night game fascinating, having him in the fold. Uh, Chicago Green Bay on uh, NBC. With, even with Khalil Mack in the mix, they're over on the number, which we're going to get to in a minute, hasn't even moved. It's still six and a half. Well, the Raiders actually went down. It's now seven and a half. So the situation with the NFC North, you have two teams there. The NFC East, and look at that. I mentioned all those teams. The three teams from the South, Rams, two teams from the North, and we haven't even talked about the Super Bowl champs. Eagles, Giants we talked about earlier. Redskins with a new quarterback, Gruden, Jay Gruden that is. That we'll have to see how that shakes down. I'm sure they'll be good, but we have to see what their defense is going to do. And then the Cowboys, you know, not having Travis Frederick there is going to hurt. Their offensive line, as we all know, is the identity of that team. Dak Prescott certainly has to take his game up a notch. Let's see what Zeke does after, of course, the suspension. We did, we know we came back for those last couple of games at the end of the season last year, but is he going to even come close to what he did back in his rookie year 2016? Same for Dak Prescott, for that matter. And the Cowboys, you know, are they going to be middle of the pack or are they going to make a run at the uh, NFC East? Or remains to be seen. So you have just so many teams there in the mix in the NFC. It just makes you wonder which one of those out of Rams, Saints, Packers, Vikings, Falcons, Eagles, who's going to make it to Atlanta for Super Bowl 53? Fascinating stuff. All right, let's get to the... I'll do a quick surprises, then I'll get to over-unders. I know we were probably right about an hour. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm a little over an hour. So, you know, let's uh, kind of make this a little bit tidy here because I know you're getting ready to watch football and I certainly don't want to draw this out any longer than it is. But uh, trust me, the heavy lifting's already over. This is just easy cake from here on out. So let's get right to it. I think my surprise this year, I'm going to say the Colts. And only for this reason, the quarterback. If he's healthy, he's going to keep his team in a lot of games. He may pull out a lot of games from his rear end and the lucky horseshoe that's on his helmet is certainly going to bear witness to a lot of that because as I said before it's a nondescript team we all know that there's not much talent there on the offensive side of the ball the defensive side could you name even three players absolutely not but I think with the the last two years with everything that's gone on with that team the organization think about just the coach Chuck Pagano and luck thinking he's going to come back and he isn't now he's going to be out for the whole year and his shoulder is 100% sound from all reports right now, it's looking pretty good. And the Colts, they do have a tricky schedule. But I think with the way the AFC South is, you know, it's not as if you're going to need 12 or 13 games to win a division. Who knows? You can maybe get to 10. I'm not trying to say they're going to win a division. I think they're going to be better than what they are. They're number six and a half. So, you know what? Even if they go eight and eight or even nine and seven, surprising people, I, I think they're going to do that. And again, that's, how, that's just going to show you how much the quarterback position is important in this league. As far as my disappointment is concerned, Listen, they had a great run. We know they should have had another Super Bowl in their back pocket against New England. And slowly but surely, that team has slipped away. Uh, The Seahawks are going to have a long year. And I get that. People are going to say, well, they still have Russell Wilson. He's tough as nails. They still have a guy like Earl Thomas who just came back into the mix last week. But you know deep down inside, is his heart going to be in it come week 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? That's That's not a knock on him. That's not to say he's soft. We all know Earl Thomas is a wonderful player. And I'm sure at some point, I wouldn't, it wouldn't put him past me. Excuse me, it wouldn't put him past him, not me. That right before the trade deadline, he goes to the front office and says, hey, can you trade me to Dallas? Now, we know Dallas tried to get him 
They offered a second round pick. They're like, uh-uh, we want a first round. But who knows? Maybe Dallas could go back if Dallas somehow, some way gets off to a good start and Seattle goes right into the tank and they say, hey, we got that number two here. Seattle's probably going to have to take it because after this year, you know he's going to walk. He's going to be out of here and he's probably going to go to Dallas. So might as well just send them there. They do play each other in week three. So that's going to be a fascinating storyline in that regard. But I just think they're going to have a long year. I mean, I, listen, Doug Baldwin's a good receiver, but we all know nobody's, no defensive coordinator is going to be scared to match up against him. We all know that Legion of Boom is long gone. Sherman's in San Francisco. Cam Chancellor's retired. We don't understand Bobby Wagner's still good. But, yeah, now with Earl Thomas just coming in literally days before the season starts, I just think they're going to have a long year. So those are your surprises and disappointments. As far as my overrun is a concern, overrun is a simple. You look at the over-under numbers for the year, the win totals or the projected win totals for these teams, and you think they're going to go over or under. So I pick six teams. I try to make it even as possible, you know, three overs, three unders. And here we go. Let's start in the order that I did these in. I'm going to start with two teams actually from my division. And no, I'm not going to include the Steelers. The Bengals at six and a half, I'm taking them as an over. Now we know the Bengals, they're a team that for whatever the reason, I'm not going to say snake bit or cursed or anything like that, but the Bengals are the bungles. We get that. I think with another year having Joe Mixon as a running back, who he has some talent, Andy Dalton, who I don't think he has a lot to prove in a regular season, but I think he has a lot to prove this year because the team has taken steps back from that 2015 season when they started off 8-0, and they've fell apart in 2016 and the same for last year. Now, I think it's going to be their time to, I'm not going to say reign supreme, but who knows? Maybe they'll give the Steelers a push in that division. The same for the Ravens, for that matter. I looked at the number six and a half. I said, no, they can win seven games. I mean, why not? In fact, last year, they won seven games. So I would think that they've added some defensive uh, parts to the side of their, uh, you know, added some players on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Adam Jones is not on the team anymore. He's long gone. I know he's been a mainstay there, but, uh, you know, they're starting to weed out a lot of the headaches, even though they still have a few headaches there. I know Vontaze Burfecht is still there, and Mixon, we know about his checkered pass, but, and Burfecht, he's actually out, so he's not going to come back, I think, until week four. But I think this team is going to do just enough, and I think they could actually be in the mix in the NFC North, so I'm going to pick them as an over six and a half. The other team I'm going to pick in that division is the Browns. Their number is five and a half. This team has won one game in two years. They're going to win six games? Tell me which six games is going to win. Especially in the division where you have the Steelers, an improved Bengal team, a Raven team that's a good on defense. That's six games right there. So if they go one and five, you mean to tell me they're going to go four and six against the rest of the league? And remember, they're playing the NFC South on top of that. Uh, listen, if they win one game, it's going to be a celebration. If they win four games, it's, they're probably going to have a parade. Now, if they win six and take the over, they probably will have a parade down there by the lake. But five and a half is high. If it was four, I, I certainly wouldn't go near it. And I think last year the number may have been four, even five. But five and a half is perfect. You know why? Because even if they go five and 11, I still went out. I'm taking the Browns as an under. That's my second pick. This one's a layup. And I hate to say this. This is just the opposite of the Cleveland pick. I'm going to pick the Patriots. They're 11. They're the highest number out of all the teams in the NFL. 11 is an over. And why is that? Because of the division. They usually go 5-1, and one, if not 6-0 and oh, every year. Usually the one loss is in Miami. So, all right, so they go 5-1 and one this year, and they go 7-3 and three against the rest of the league. That's 12. There you go. And I understand if, they, if they're stuck on 11, it's not like they're 10.5, and, and if they get 11, I win. So if they're stuck on 11, that means I'm screwed. But you know what? They're 
for the theory I just put out, five and one, seven and three, 12 and four. There you go. That's uh, my third pick. I'm also going to pick the Saints at nine and a half as an over. Drew Brees coming to the end of the line. They're not asking him to do too much. Alvin Kamara has been just an unbelievable pick up there when they drafted him last year. I think he's just an, he's an enormous help. We understand they don't have the threats like they once did. You know, the Devery Hendersons and the Marquez Colstons of the world. You know, they still have Mark Ingram also as well to switch it back and forth. I believe Ingram's still on the team, is he? Look, I, that's, that just goes to show you. I mean, there's so much turnover in the NFL that when you look at certain teams and you just think of players and their numbers on the back, you say, oh yeah, Mark Ingram. But I say, wait a second, didn't he go somewhere else this year? So you know what, before I even go any further, let me just make sure that I'm not crazy. And uh, yes, of course, he's still with the Saints. I knew that. But just to be sure, I don't want to come out with anything erroneous. The Saints, I think, are going to have a good year. And especially with the way their season ended last year, I think they're going to be just as hungry. Uh, they, I think they're going to be one of the top teams in the conference. Now, the main thing is, is that can they win a big game on the road, especially late in the year? That remains to be seen. But I think with eight games at home, I think they could go eight and zero. If not, they go seven and one. If they go seven and one, and they even go three and five on the road at nine and a half, guess what? That's ten. I'm going to pick them as an over. The Raiders, for everything that I mentioned before about Gruden and everything that's gone on there, they're to me, they're going to have a long season. Also, seven and a half is their number. I could see them going what seven and nine. They won six games last year. Again, they do have some personnel on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, losing Mac, especially in the week before the season starts, is just a killer. Again, long year. Seven and a half is too high. I'm picking them as an under. And then my last pick, easy as this is going to be, my disappointment of the year, the Seahawks. Again, they're going to have a long year. Their number is eight. Chances are, hey, listen, they could go eight and eight. They can go nine and seven based on their quarterback, who's tough. And the coach, everybody loves to play for him. We know Pete Carroll. But you know what? This downswing, considering... Once Carroll got there and they started moving up in 11, then in 12, finally making it, you know, winning in 13 in the Super Bowl, 14 losing the Super Bowl, and then slowly but surely going back down, I think this is the year that they bottom out. I could see this being a 6-10 and 10 type year. And especially in the division that they play where the Rams will probably beat up on them, the Niners, especially with Sherman on the Niners now, you know he's going to have added incentives to just go after his old team when they play twice this upcoming season. And Arizona, who knows? But I think it's going to be a long year for the Seahawks, so I'm picking them as an under. So here are my over-unders. Three overs, three unders. My overs are the Bengals, 6.5, Patriots, 11, and Saints, 9.5. My three unders are Browns, 5.5, Raiders, 7.5, Seahawks, 8. Those are my over-under picks for this year. My knockout pool pick, I'm picking the Saints this week. And remember, the knockout pool is you pick one team. It has nothing to do with the spread because you only use that team one time throughout the year as long as you're alive. And I used the Saints, I'll never forget that one year, I think in 2012 at RG3, and he had that big game and he lit up the Saints defense. Uh-uh, they're playing Tampa. Dirk Cutter is pretty much on, the, on his way out. He's walking the plank as we speak. Jameis Winston's not there to start off the year. And the Saints, I think they're going to have a big year. I think they have a big opening game. I understand they stubbed their toes in these games. Remember the Raiders, that one opening game, they lost 38-35 uh, a couple of years back. So they can lose these games. And I did mention that Redskins game many years ago, but... Again, it's Tampa. It's a division game. This is on the road to be a different story, but the game is at home. So I think the Saints is going to be my knockout pick for this week. And we'll see if I'll survive with that. My Super Bowl pick. I'm picking a rematch of Super Bowl 45, Green Bay and Pittsburgh. Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers not making the postseason last year and him getting hurt. Now, how could you 
not knock them. I know the defense, again, you kind of wonder with their pieces, are they going to be able to do just enough? Because we know that this is an offensive-heavy team. But now they got Jimmy Graham in the mix, that he's just a big target. That's only just going to make their offense that much more lethal. I'm picking them. And the Steelers, for the reason I mentioned, and again, it's risky because of Le'Veon Bell, but you got to look at it this way. The AFC, it's New England-Pittsburgh right now and everybody else. I mean, who else are you going to be scared of? Chargers? Chiefs? Jacksonville? Right, if you're a Steelers fan, you're going to say, oh, yeah, the Jacksonville beat you twice last year. And that's going to be an interesting game later on this year on a Monday night, I believe. Or I think it's a Sunday night, Pittsburgh-Jacksonville. But I'm not scared of Jacksonville either. I mean, listen, their defense is good. They talk a lot. We understand that. But their offense, if you play them the right way, as I mentioned before, you could beat them. That's all there is to it. And I understand Jacksonville's looking to take a step ahead. I'm not afraid of Houston. I'm not afraid of Indy. I'm not afraid of any of those teams. Baltimore, only because they're a rival, but still, we've beaten them finally, gotten over the hump, especially last year. Because they had owned us in that time between, you know, mid-2014 through last year. So I think the Steelers are going to go to Super Bowl, and I know it's going to sound like a homer pick, but I'm picking the Steelers win the Super Bowl. And the reason why I'm picking, not because I'm a fan, not because of this. I know people are like, ah, of course, Jay Reels. Well, in years past, I never picked the Steelers. The reason why I picked the Steelers this year because I think that this window is starting to close. And I'm sure Roethlisberger, as much as he says, oh, I could play three, four more years, I would sincerely think that if he wins the Super Bowl, whether it's this year or next year, he's out the door. He's going to be gone. He's going to retire. He wants to be with his family. Remember the words he said last year as far as, you know, I don't know if I could, you know, go through another offseason and this and that. And maybe I should retire. All right, we get that. But no, I not to say that he has one foot out the door. I'm definitely not saying that. But I could see that if he knows that this team is stacked, especially offensively. And if their defense could just, as I said before, just be good. They don't have to be great. Maybe be good. They could go to the Super Bowl and they could win a Super Bowl. And Green Bay's going to be a tough opponent. But I really think they could win. And that's my 2018 NFL preview. What do you got to say about that? All right, people. I know I've taken a little bit longer than I should. What is it? About an hour and 15 minutes. All right. So it wasn't as tidy as an hour, but I appreciate you hanging in there, listening to what it is that I have to say. When it comes to the National Football League, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to Google Podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review, post a rating. Uh, whatever it may be. And it's just easy swipes, people. Just hit the podcast app on your phone. Just hit the five stars, four stars, whatever it may be. Type a little review. Say, yeah, Jay Reels. You know, I don't agree with his opinions all the time, but you know when he comes correct. Or, hey, he's funny. He's self-deprecating at times. He's whatever it is. Please put it out there. And the reason why I say that is because the more people see the reviews, the more that it gets some notoriety and some popularity, especially in the sports podcast landscape out there because there are a ton of shows, as we all know. And obviously, that's going just to attract more people and generate more interest. And again, I want to continue to do this and will continue to do this. But with just a little bit of your help, will certainly go a long way. So if you could please do that, uh, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you didn't listen to episode 26, which I released on Tuesday, talked a little bit about the Yankees, who had a rough trip uh, out in Oakland. They lose uh, the back end of that uh, rubber game last night. I talked more about them, and they'll be fine down on the stretch. A little U.S. Open, some college football. If you missed that, definitely take a listen Episode 26, you could, uh, again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google uh, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, you name it. It's all on there. Of course, my website at uh, jreels.com. Don't want to miss that. If you happen to be at your desk and you don't have uh, your device or you lost it and you need to listen to it, and if you're at work and if you're able to stream it, please feel free to do that as well. 
And if you want to send me an email, the jrealspodcast at gmail.com, as well as all my social media accounts, which you'll see me post a bunch of stuff, whether it's jreels on Instagram, jreels1, the number one on Twitter, and the jreels podcast on my Facebook page. Please feel free to do that. I was thinking about doing picks. I don't know if I'm going to want to do that each and every week, you know, the three games, whatever. I think I'll just keep it to the knockout pool. Because again, the next podcast is going to be Monday. I'm going to recap all these games, baseball, all that, and then some. And I just think to talk about picks early on in the week, you know, you want to do that later on in the week. You never know who's hurt, who's not going to perform, who's not going to play, whatever. So I think I may bypass the picks this year. Or if you feel like I should do picks, then guess what? You have until Sunday, because I'm not going to pick the game tonight. You have until Sunday at noon. So if you want to reach out to my social media accounts, email, whatever it may be, and say, no, Jay Reels, give us a pick each and every week and let us know where to find it then you know what, I'll do it. But until then, I think I'm going to back off with uh, my predictions with the spread, picking three games each and every week throughout the course of the regular season. As always, from the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this 2018 NFL preview. And until next week or next time on the J Reels Podcast, enjoy NFL opening night tonight and the weekend and the baseball and whatever else you may be watching. Until then, people, on the flip, baby.